Introduction to Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Williams. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Introduction. How the world looked then. Jerry Stowe admired himself. He was, at length, doing his duty. Also, his legs pleased him. Through some years he had cherished ambitions for those legs, and himself, linked with unworthy circumstance. Now he was off to the wars, and his legs in golden silk stockings. Before the first beat of manhood in his blood, it had been plain to him that he was born to heroic matters. He was for alarms and great deeds and a white blaze of fame. He must plunge into world wars, must win world renown, be a sober Alexander, a Caesar of respectability. Now, with the spring storms of manhood wild in him and its first alarming wisdom, he had persuaded even a doubting father that he was not made to work his life out easily in the fat tilth of Stoke Mandeville, was at least no use there. He was emancipated from home. He was out of the worsted and linsey, and into silk and brocade. He was off to ride behind the Lion of the North, and hew himself greatness out of the Austrian papists. Dreams were coming true. His legs and his soul rejoiced. Life was delectable, and his father should be taught to take him seriously. There was a wild wind of spring, and blue clouds clashed in a grey sky. The daylight was pale, and across it the long rampart of hills stood dull black. Over the dark green slope that swells slowly to Aikman Street, the wind smote a scattered army of trees, and roared and whistled its anthem. Old trunks of silver-gray tossed their great black delicate crests to the wild music, and the poplars, lean boughs already gemmed with gold, trembled and swayed and cowered. Glad of his strength as the wind came Jerry Stowe. His brilliant legs bore him with a lilt. Nostril and eye were wide, eager of joy. He seemed even to expect it at once. The sight of Sir Godfrey Weston taking the air, according to custom, affected him with instant delight, for Sir Godfrey had in hand his daughter. She was then a child in her first teens, and, as I infer, can have been no more beautiful than any clean, healthy girl— but she had, doubtless even so early, gaiety and an air. Certainly she was born to be a queen, and might have made no blunder of it. The least nerve of her was keenly alive. She lacked, it may be, something of a child's sweet weakness. But if she asked you nothing, she promised much. The quick scarlet lips, her valiant eyes, the vivid touch of red in her brown hair, were apt already to make men think of their manhood. You might guess that it was no more than this child that had made an end of the boy in Jerry Stowe. Sir Godfrey Weston, who saw many things if he did little, saw this, perhaps. There was something of the contempt that made his only amusement on the lean, pallid face as he stayed before the resplendent Jerry Stowe. Jerry saluted him with awkward profundity. Sir Godfrey put up one finger. The child smiled gay. "'Good morrow, Jerry,' says she, whither bound. "'Jerry Stowe saluted her all over again. "'I'm glad we are met, my lady,' 
quoth he, purely red, for I am desirous to bid you farewell. "'Tis a most correct sentiment, Stowe, Sir Godfrey agreed. Jerry disliked the tone. "'I'm off to the wars, you must know, sir,' said he, with some magnificence. Sir Godfrey raised his level eyebrows. But the child was delighted. "'Truly, like the stories you tell, and will you be long?' "'I'll not be back in the vale, my lady,' says Jerry, conscious of golden legs, till I am somewhat more than Jerry Stowe. Sir Godfrey yawned. He did not appear to think the ambition extravagant. "'But I like Jerry Stowe,' said the child. "'I shall make him better worth liking,' said he, with more solemnity than the child required. "'You are a fool, boy. Probably God will be with you. Come, Lucinda,' said Sir Godfrey. "'But I want to know,' the child protested. "'Do you think they'll make you a prince, or a duke, perhaps? And will you be very rich?' "'If I live,' said Jerry Stowe, with his chest out, "'I shall win fame. I ambition no more.' The child looked something of a different opinion. Sir Godfrey tapped his chin. "'Answer a fool according to his folly, Lucinda,' says he pleasantly. "'Friend fool, ambition much of the world, desire much. So shalt thou surely live miserably and in misery die. And for the hereafter, happiest are you who have known hell here.' "'If I covet honour, sir,' said Jerry Stowe, "'tis an honourable emprise. I would fight for no cause but the right.' "'There is none,' said Sir Godfrey Weston, with another yawn. "'God with us,' roars your Lutheran. "'In the name of the Virgin,' the Papist screams. "'Fool, do you think God such a fool as to trust his honour to any man? "'There's no cause worth a man's sorrow, "'none whereof the victory is well brought by a man's death. "'Tis in the scheme of things no faith shall ever conquer, "'and thus the fools who believe hammer each other out. "'Your wise man stands off from all.' believes nothing, as he loves nothing and hopes nothing. You have the felicity to be a fool. So, again, God be with you. You should amuse him. Come, Lucinda. This maker of phrases was something beyond Jerry Stowe. He stood at gaze. The philosophy of Diogenes, I take it, was amazing to him even in the end. But the child smiled back at him, and he went through the wind high at heart. Already he felt himself climbing to a nobler estate than was hers of birth, beheld himself her worshipped lord. Bolder the wind roared, and the blue clouds marshalled heavy in the grayness. It was dark in the beach spinney above the inn, and Jerry, plunging across it, caught strange sounds, heard a ghastly voice moan from the invisible. "'Mine inquities are gone over mine head. My wounds stink and are corrupt. I go mourning all the day long.' There came the horrible music of a man's tears. Jerry Stowe hurried on, ashamed. Of a truth I am the chief, the chief of sinners. O Lord, thou knowest. Nay, verily, the Lord standeth up to plead. A break of light showed the mourner. It was a loose fellow that stood working his hands and boring his heels into the ground. Jerry Stowe saw a sturdy red ridge of nose and a coarse, fleshy face swollen and dark. He went on in a hurry, for this Mr. Cromwell, cousin of Squire Hamden, was thought to be possessed at hours. The harsh voice rose higher. The Lord, the Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof, for ye have eaten the vineyard, ye beat my people to pieces. The Lord shall repay. 
Jerry Stowe came out of the spinney to meet the breaking storm. Quick whirls of snow blinded him, and the driven hail cut temple and cheek. All the air was a warring medley of ice. End of Introduction Recording by Sarah Williams